We the City is recorded on Gadigal land. I pay my respects to the traditional custodians, the elders, past, present, and emerging. Art. Activism. Identity. Diving deep with one artist a week, we meet the individuals who use their art to trigger change in the city of Sydney. Who are they and what's their story? Stick around to find out on We The City. Hi, I'm Blue Lucene, and today on We The City, I speak with Iraz Ahmed, a poet, musician and community worker. Araz shares with me some of their new music and reflects on gentle masculinity, discovering their voice, and how complicated dads are. Here's Araz. So, Araz, thank you so much for joining me today on We the City. Thanks for having me. Um, so, I wanted to just first start to talk to you about when did your love of music begin? How did that get started? Great question. When I think back to my first albums that I ever bought for myself um, were Jagged Little Pill and the Space Jam soundtrack, (laughs) which I feel very accurately represent the sides of my personality um, and which probably represent some of my musical influences. Um, And how old would you have been when you purchased those two? (laughs) I was about seven or eight years old. Me and my dad listened to, we liked a lot of the same music, um, particularly sort of uh, Americana, like folk music and stuff like that. Um, we listened to a lot of singer-songwriters. Um, so that sort of tradition, I guess, of songwriting and um, single voices that were somewhat guitar-driven, I guess, um, were often playing when I was younger. And I think that... Um, probably soaked into my consciousness a bit. And then I started playing guitar when I was about 10 years old or something. So it was definitely, yeah, I would say that I'm my musical passion kind of came from that young exposure to songwriters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 10 years old, that's quite young. Um, were you given a guitar? Did you borrow a guitar? Did you steal a guitar? <laughs> I, I just... Uh, I think it was, it must've been my birthday or Christmas or something like that. And, um, when my parents asked me what I wanted, I said that I wanted a guitar and I remember there being a little bit of a discussion about how, um, I think I said electric guitar and I think they said definitely not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, so we compromised by getting an acoustic guitar. Um, so we went to this music shop called Walter's Music, which was, um, in the basement of the Square One Shopping Centre in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada, where close to where I grew up. Um, and we went to the shop and we tried a bunch of guitars. And I remember, again, I was with my dad. Um, and I think there was definitely some sort of, some kind of gentle vibe around like a little bit of living out your parents' dream kind of thing. Like there was that aura to it. So I started out taking a few lessons, but I was really terrible at guitar lessons. Like I just didn't like, <laughs> I didn't like it. Um, I got really stressed out by it. And to this day, I can't, I don't know how to read sheet music. Um, but I really loved 
like learning chord shapes and just being able to, um, you know, go on the old dial-up internet uh, with, you know, AOL search engine or whatever um, and look up songs I knew that only had three chords or something and then just go home and um, and try to play the song. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I started, I guess, by learning chord shapes, memorizing those, and then um, playing along with some songs I liked. And then that pretty quickly became writing um, songs with those similar, like very simple chord um, patterns. And that's like, I would love to say that my playing has become more elaborate or more sophisticated, but it's not. That's that's kind of my, my jam really is um, simple, regular structures. Yep. So you mentioned your dad quite a bit in that last little story. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about your family? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you say that because I, I was reflecting on that as I was saying it. I was like, oh, interesting. This is going to be a dad podcast. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. Um, yeah, my family. Wow. So, um, so you said you grew up in Canada. Yeah, I grew up in Canada. Um and I was born in England, and so was my sister. And both of my parents um, were uh, born and raised in what's now Bangladesh. Um, and then they moved to London when when they were young and and had us, et cetera, et cetera. Um, like most people, I'm sure my you know my relationship to my family has been a complex, dynamic thing um, over the years, and um, it was pretty. It's been pretty hard uh, at points, and I think um, some of that difficult stuff is probably why I ended up in Australia um, eight, eight, nine, nine years ago, I think. Um, yeah. Um, and again, like a lot of people, I think sometimes having that distance and having that time um, can make things a little bit easier. So um, my, my dad died uh, about... I think about three years ago. Um, but in the years before then, um, while I've been over here, my relationship with him, my relationship with my mom and my sister, um, definitely got, it got a lot deeper and probably had more understanding of, um, sort of human, human complexity by having that space and that, that time apart. So, um, yeah, they're very much, um, a part of my, my sort of new EP or, or small um, album that I'm going to be recording soon. And right now it's loosely, it might, it might not stay this title, so don't, <laughs> don't quote me on it if it changes <laughs> radically, but in my mind right now it's called um, All of Our Parents in London in the 70s. Um, and it's yeah, a short album that uh, really centers, I think, my relationships with my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what kind of drove you to move to Australia from Canada? Online love. <laughs> <laughs> Online love drove me to Australia. Um, I was I was part of a extremely nerdy and earnest um, online forum for uh, like poets and musicians um, back, God, I don't know, in the, how old was I? early 2000s, I guess, um, something like that. So from the age of like 17, 18, 19, I was just um, obsessed with um, and in love with uh, this person who was, she was Australian. um, And we had this 
you know, long distance on again, off again, kind of intellectual love affair, really. Um, it was highly esoteric as it was as 90s, 2000s as it sounds, <laughs> you know, um, tons of attachment stuff zinging around, I'm sure, tons of unexamined um, identity stuff zinging around. Um, yeah, for whatever reason, we just had this like huge chemistry, we were really drawn to each other. And um, finally, after seven, literally seven years of this past, you know, it went by, we're, we're with other people, we're having other experiences. Um, and we decided to finally meet. And then, um, you know, the story, the story of us being together was so compelling to me at that point that um, it almost felt like I didn't really, like, I didn't really have a choice. I was like, oh, this relationship is finally happening. I need to, I need to go with this, you know, I need to go on this journey and see what, what, um, what takes place. So I came to Australia to give it a real shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that relationship broke down after two years, um, I had just put so much, I'd put so much energy into trying to build this life here. And I was also putting that space between myself and my family at that time. So, um, I think the week that the relationship dissolved was the same week that I got my first, um, sort of proper, management consulting contract (laughs) so it was like this real um you know juxtaposition of things where um for the first time in my life I could actually see a future of not being a really broke starving artist um and that was so important to my mental health to like even though I had all these other convos happening in my mind at that time of like am I selling out and blah 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 super corporate job um I knew that I needed to give myself the gift of making quite good money um, for a period of time to just to get my bearings again. So I took that contract and then, um, yeah, and then the years went by and I was like, oh, I'm having a good time. I'll wait and see what happens. I'll wait and see. And here I am nine years later. (laughs) Who could have guessed the better or the best of us was traveling in you farther away from the source of truth. Anywhere else but wherever Anywhere else but forever Always out there And what kind of impact did moving to Sydney, moving countries, have on your your music? Yeah, great question. Um, My whole relationship to my body changed so much when I moved to Sydney Um, in in all the ways. Like, growing up in Canada... um, at least with, for myself and with my family, like I never really thought about the impact of um, having to be indoors for six months of the year, you know, and what it's like to just um, not be able to go out in a t-shirt like for, again, you know, six, seven months of the year or something like that, like always having to um, cover up. And um, when I came here and I had this, you know, incredible experience of just almost every single day I would wake up and I would, you know, say to the, to this, um, ex-partner, um, wow, what a beautiful day it is, you know? And eventually she was like, we get it. It's a really nice day. Like you can stop saying that now. Um, but to me it was, it was quite a revelation, you know, of, um, like just how beautiful the natural landscape was and how you could be in, um, I worked for a while, um, for a few years at UNSW and I really felt it so strongly when I was working there that, um, you know, I could be at work and then within 30 minutes, not even after work, I could be on a, the most beautiful beach I'd ever seen. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, on my lunch break, I could walk around and I could, um, you know, find little pockets of like green, verdant green. Um, and it, yeah, it's really hard to, to put it into words how much that can change a person until, you know, if, if you haven't, if you haven't had that and not that Canada isn't beautiful cause it really is beautiful, but it's a different kind. Um, this is, you know, just me thinking out loud. Um, I haven't really thought this through before, but sometimes I wonder whether, I guess the degree to which, um, moving out here, being able to, you know, feel the sun on my skin more often, being able to just walk everywhere, get more exercise outdoors, whether that did also kind of unblock something around me, um, being able to affirm my transness, you know, and whether there's some sort of a continuum around getting more comfortable with your body, feeling your body become more powerful because you use it more and that unlocking some sort of years of repression of, of being trans. Yep. It's a really beautiful idea. Um, the more kind of connected and, and exposed that you got to nature, the more kind of connected and exposed you were to your true self. Yeah. In a way. Absolutely. And I'm sure that people in, in cold climates can have the same thing. Maybe I just don't have that. I just didn't have that relationship to myself in the cold in the way that maybe someone who snowboards or something does, you know? Um, it wasn't really my authentic body space. Whereas I know some people who absolutely thrive in the winter and, you know, I just love it. Um, yeah, but that wasn't me. Um, did your sound change when you came to Sydney? And, and tell me a little bit about... Yeah. Um, your music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, did my sound change? I mean, it's a very big question. Yeah, no, no, totally. I feel like right now I'm kind of having this like wonderful renaissance period for myself where I actually feel like I'm starting to sound more like I used to sound um, when I was younger, younger. So um, my music has always been kind of in that uh, sometimes I call it like alt country. Sometimes I call it experimental folk um, or garage folk. I think garage folk is probably the most um, technically accurate. Uh, and when I, so when I first started out, when I was playing in coffee houses and things in high school, um, I think I started performing when I was about 16 or 17. Um, I was always playing on acoustic because that's what I had. And I was playing solo because that was just easier um, but I really love playing with bands. I really love playing like collaboratively, um, during my work life. I often have to be like very controlling and like project managing. And this is, it's really nice for me in music where I'm not like that at all. Like to the point where sometimes people are asking me like, can you just plan this out a little bit more? And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to control everything. Like I want, I want whatever happens to happen somewhat. Um, so then in maybe my earlier mid twenties, I started to take music a bit more seriously and I started to play, um, gigs and go around, uh, just like small mini tours, um, in Canada a bit more, um, and a little bit in, in New York and I loved it. It was awesome, but I also got extremely, um, burnt out and a bit jaded about the kind of social media engine that had to be ticking along around it the mm -hmm. whole time. I just hated that stuff. I really hated the, the, the marketing, the personal brand, all, all of that. I just wanted to write music, um, practice it, record it in a studio, play it at little dive bars with my friends and just like 
have a nice time. You know, that, that was my, that was what I wanted out of it. Um, but because, you know, we were getting little bits of attention and it was, it was great. Um, I, you know, I, I think I changed a little bit. Um, and I probably got a bit more concerned with what was, um, you know, what was like a trendy sound, what was like the indie sound of the moment kind of thing. And now I feel like after, you know, I've, I've moved away definitely from the idea of trying to, um, I'm not trying to become famous or semi-famous or even semi-semi-famous anymore. You know, like I'm not, that's not on my radar as much. Um, but when, when you make those kinds of choices, I think sometimes it can free you up to actually make much better art. And now my music is going back to, um, I'd say some of that alt country and alt folk stuff. And, um, and that feels really good. It feels like home. And I'm, I, I think this album might be, recorded solo or very sparsely accompanied um, which will be my first time recording a almost solo project as a leopard I run far afield each day returning to a different home my ears prick up and my head snaps round and I catch your scent all else forgotten and I'm coursing through the long sharp grass Find you in the distance, underneath a tree, maybe singing, usually just waiting for me. I love you, leopard style. You've been on a bit of a journey of the last couple years. Um, what do you want to share about that and how that's kind of worked with your music? Yeah. Um, I've been on so many journeys in the past few years. Like my <laughs> yeah, whole, I know. Talk about understatement. <laughs> my whole life from the past three years has been, um, yeah. So I'm truly, I've truly been transitioning in all the ways in the past couple of years. Um, I, right when COVID um, kicked off, I decided that I was going to keep, keep working in change management stuff, project management kind of. Um, worlds, but that I was going to also start studying a master of social work. I think part of what inspired that was also that I really fully um, started to take up my own transgenderness. Um, I, I took it up in this deeper way, I guess. I'd always known that I was um, I don't know, gender creative, uh, but it became more and more clear to me that this was a part of my life that I needed to start living and, and living more fully. And so I um, decided to start medically transitioning, like pretty much right when COVID kicked off. So I, when we all went into isolation, I was like, perfect. <laughs> this is a great time. I'll be the chrysalis and I will come out of my, come out of this period. And people will be like, who is that person? Um, so, so that's what I've been doing. And um, so I had top surgery during COVID. I've been on T now for, um, it'll be two years and like three days from now. Um, and it's been, it's been incredible. Like it's hard to describe what it's like, you know, we've all been in these deeply internal spaces for the past two years and, um, to also be transforming during that time has been so intense and sometimes, um, like sometimes very lonely and like quite weird, but also, um, also beautiful. And that's definitely informed my writing quite a lot. And at the same time, also turning towards um, social work during that time and 
giving more voice to um, I've always been really active in community development work and like anti-racism work, um, gender advocacy and that kind of stuff. So privileging that more in my life and being more clear about this is who I am. This is what I want to do. Um, all of these things, you know, my, my music becoming more authentic again, um, studying what I want to study and, and doing what I want to do more in communities, um, looking and feeling and sounding more like myself. It's it's all been happening at once. <laughs> For better or for worse, yeah. How did it feel to listen to your own voice change with the T kind of week by week, month by month? It's only super recently that I've been able to believe that it is changing. Mm -hmm. So for the first long time, um, I was convinced that it wasn't changing at all. And I was like, what is going on? What what am I doing wrong here, you know? Um, Part of that is because, so obviously as a singer... um, and if you're someone who's transitioning at, you know, the age of, uh, I think I started when I was 33 or something, I'm 35 now, um, there are impacts that can happen to your singing voice. Um, if you're a transmasculine person, uh, some of those impacts can result in your voice not being quite as, um, like, uh, precise, as consistent, as, like, warm, um, as you might have had it before, and some of the mitigating stuff that you can do around that is by taking testosterone very slowly. Um, so I started on a low dose and, and I took a low dose for the entire first year to give my, uh, my larynx and all of my like throat muscles and stuff some time. Um, because they, if, if I had been taking tea when I was a younger person, then my larynx and all that would have actually had a chance to grow with the hormone changes. But you know, as a 30 year old, it's not going to get any bigger now. So, um, so there was a reason, I guess, why I did it slow and steady, but that meant that I had to deal with the psychic weirdness of other things were changing on my body, but my voice was was not. Um, so recently, my therapist in the past couple of months, like I've had to actually start asking her things where I was like, "Can you just tell me if my voice has changed?" Because I, I I'm, you know, and it's it's COVID, so I wasn't seeing anyone. Um, so now I can hear it, and it's extremely freeing, and it makes me very happy. Um, and it feels very strange when I hear my old voice, like, which is weird as a musician <laughs> to, you know, to not, um, I don't know how to explain the feeling. It's, it, I don't feel it is bad. My old voice. I don't think like, Oh no. Ooh. I just think, Oh, that person sounds nice. I wonder who that is. Yeah. And has the shift in your voice impacted, um, in your musical identity in terms of like the topics that you write about or the the stories you're telling in your songs because we've heard some of your original music uh in this podcast yeah and you write your songs i seem to be going through a real dad phase and so yeah and i i don't think that's a coincidence i do think that has obviously also you know my dad died a few years ago so of course um i would be processing that but also um one beautiful and kind of surprising thing that has come out of um, the past few months of my transition is how more and more I'm coming to peace with a lot of the complex, quite painful stuff in my history with him. Um, And I'm feeling like I'm getting more insight um, and perspective into while I don't, you know, I'm not going to condone all of his choices, but I'm also going to, I just have more, yeah, more understanding, I guess, um, of some of the, uh, 
constrictive social norms that he was working within in terms of um, masculinity and, and problematic social masculinity and stuff like that. So my songwriting has changed in that I'm now more actively um, looking at not even just not even just dad stuff, but also the emotions that went along with dad stuff for me for so long. You know, things like anger, things like, um, yeah, anger, resentment, even fear. Um, and I'm able to kind of look at some of those feelings from a different place because I can understand more now on this visceral level um, that sometimes that anger and that fear and all that can really come from, again, I'm not condoning, you know, dark, violent stuff, but like it can come from this place of, vulnerability and sadness and um, really softness. And it's unfortunate that so many men growing up um, just don't have access to a language for that. Yeah. Dads are hard. Dads are so hard, Dads right? Dads are so hard. Dads are so hard. Oh, my God. Dads are so hard. <laughs> Call me your son so I can be her again. Call me your boy. So I can't be born again Cause you're a liar, you're a liar, you're a liar, it's true You're a liar, you're a liar I lost um, a friend of mine yesterday and I'm quite sad about it today and I've been trying to figure out if I, yeah, sort of how that sat with um, with everything really and if I wanted to talk about it or not, but I've been reflecting, I guess, a lot today on how. Um, so I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't know this man very well, but I know his wife, and the two of them um, lived very close to me uh, in Camperdown um, during during COVID and stuff. So during all the lockdowns, so bringing it back again to my experience, I guess, of the city. When I think about the first two years of COVID, I think a lot about these two wonderful people um, and their two dogs in Camperdown and how, um, you know, Camperdown Memorial Park specifically was such a place of social survival for so many of us. And yeah, I'm really, I'm really sad that he's not going to, that we all don't get to draw from his incredible gentle masculinity. Um, Yep. Anymore. I mean, I, I know that we still will continue to draw from it because we'll, yeah, we're going to continue to keep him close to us. But so I, I met the two of them um, during COVID and I met the two of them right when I was just starting to take testosterone. And when I met him, uh, it was one of the first examples that I had um, of meeting a man who didn't make me feel very complicated inner, oh no, am I going to trend? Am I becoming something I don't like? <laughs> like he was the first one who not, not, maybe not the first, but one of the first people in a long time who really showed me that, um, just what it is to be really sweet, really gentle, um, not bombastic, not take up all the space, not, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, and I'm, I'm going to be, you know, grateful forever. I guess that I had that, important sort of influence um, right when I needed it the most because at that time I was quite um, you know it's a confusing thing like you don't know exactly what you are what exactly you're becoming how are you going to fit into society 
Um, how are you going to project masculinity? How are you going to do this thing called masculinity? You know, so to have healthy um, role models was, yeah, was really important. Masculinity is a really interesting thing um, with music, I think. I might ask you to tell us a little bit more about your writing because you write as well as um, play music. So could you tell us a little bit about where your creativity comes from? I think, um, so like we were, like before we started, you and I were having um, a little mini discussion around how some of all of these things that we're talking about today, so my music, my writing, um, and my community development slash social work um, activity, all of that stuff to me exists on a continuum. And I would find it difficult, like I don't, sometimes when people ask me what I am or what I do, I find it genuinely very confusing because I don't know whether, <laughs> I don't really feel like I'm a musician anymore. Um, Ten years ago, I probably would have just said, oh, I'm a musician, you know? Yeah. Um, and more and more I'm becoming, I've always been a writer and I think my first identification was probably as a poet when I was younger. Um, but now my writing is becoming more active in my life and a little bit less internal. Um, and all of that is happening and is being informed by the fact that I'm living more authentically now, um, politically. And I'm, um, I do a lot of work in anti-racism spaces, like anti-racism training and stuff like that. And, um, psychological safety support for activists working in, um, social justice issues. That's kind of my, my thing and where I see my practice going. So my creativity right now is coming from probably, um, I think I've just had enough of a lot of the, a lot of the BS <laughs> that, that exists in specifically around, um, racism, transphobia, misogyny, um, trans erasing as well mm -hmm. like just like um that that's something that uh not just from and it's not just like for myself you know it's, it's on this bigger level of um i feel you know whether it's warranted or not I, f I feel responsibility um because i'm someone who you know has a certain level of education i grew up with a certain amount of um financial stability and i I feel like not all trans people have those experiences um, and not all trans people are in a position where they want to or can speak up for themselves as, as much as I am able to. So um, that's not to say that my art is necessarily trans art, you know, or that, but um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that we don't get the choice of separating um, all you don't get the choice to separate all those things when you're a person of color who's a writer or a trans person who's a musician. Um, we don't get to just be the artist or the musician in the same way that a lot of um, cishet white people get to, you know? So whether I like it or not, I'm going to be the trans, you know, songwriter or whatever who, who shows up somewhere and... Um, so there's something around wanting to own that. And, you know, if that's going to, if that's going to be put on me, then I'm going to make people, um, I'm going to force people to make a choice of whether they are going to remain 
allies or, um, you know, become activists of their own outside of just the 40 minutes that they listen to me play a gig, if that's going to stick with them and if they're going to move through their life thinking about things that are important to me, such as like my, my latest, um, <laughs> the latest thing that I'm kind of, um, I don't know, talking about a lot, I guess, and thinking about a lot is how right now in Australia, um, there are lots of people having babies who are not women. And yet the way that we talk about pregnancy, the way we talk about anti-natal um, care, all that kind of stuff, anything reproductive, raising kids, etc., it's always with this assumption that the person doing that childbearing is a woman. And um, I have such a strange, like such a different um, experience of that, you know, and sometimes it feels, I feel like I'm being gaslit half the time because when I'm listening to, so studying social work, for example, everything I study, it's always about women having babies. And I'm like, wait a second, I don't understand because I've got like, at least personally, I, I know five people who have had babies who are men or non-binary people. So this is not an opinion. This is a matter of fact. Medicare data shows that, you know, hundreds of, um, yeah, hundreds of men uh, in the past couple of years have had babies. So um, issues like that are really important to me and they come through, I think, into my writing and my music, not because I'm explicitly ever talking about these things necessarily, but um, because these issues influence, I guess, I don't know how to say it, the, I think the way that I handle some of the big themes of life, parenting, etc. in my songs, I hope that I'm creating queer spaces with some of the language that I use. Like, for example, one of my um, songs that I think I'm going to play today um, it's the alternate title to this new album, which is um, Call Me Your Son So I Can Be Her Again. Um, and that's a sentiment that has yeah, stayed true to me throughout this whole um, time that I've been transitioning, I guess, in the past couple of years, where um, it has been by embracing my masculinity, embodying my masculinity more, that I've able to actually feel comfortable with my femininity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that comes through into my music now, hopefully, by that balance of energy that I'm trying to bring into my music. Does it ever get scary living authentically? Yeah, great question. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it gets very, it gets, um, I think I'm through most of the scary feeling and now I'm more in the tired feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it gets, yeah, it was, there was, there were some really scary points along the way of, um, disorienting scary, you mm -hmm. know, feeling like, oh my God, what am I? Um, and it, like I consider, like I'm, I'm trans masculine. Um, I don't call myself a trans man and I don't think I ever have been or will be what society calls a man. But I also, um, yeah, if there, if I, I don't really believe in the binary gender, but if I had to put myself on a, t tick a line on a spectrum, I'd be pretty close to the man side of the line. Um, but for a while, um, and still sometimes now I get such different reads of my gender when I'm out in public. So 
75% of the time now people just default to he and that's fine. Um, but every now and then someone, maybe they knew me before or something like that, um, will still she me. And then as soon as a couple of people start sheing me in a room or something, um, it just kind of spreads. And all of a sudden that whole room only can see she, mm. and that's a really disorienting. And that is, I still find that quite scary. And I get panic attacks sometimes from that where it's just very weird how perception can just flip, you know, and the flipping shows me, I'm like, oh my gosh, what is identity then? And then I fall into a dark hole of like, what, what are any of us, you know? Um, because if one person can believe that I'm like, I often like to relate it to being told I'm a golden retriever, where if someone calls me a woman, I'm like, it's kind of like you're calling me a golden retriever. Like I love golden retrievers. There's nothing wrong with being called a golden retriever. Like who doesn't love them? But, um, but it's not accurate. And it's also <laughs> wild that you would think I'm one, you know, like it's so weird. And so then that it just weirds me out. I'm like, how can you like, how can you encounter me and think I'm a golden retriever? Mm. Yeah. Like yeah. the rug pulled out from underneath your feet. Yeah. Especially when everyone else is, is like seeing that you're like, you know, clearly a poodle. Mm. <laughs> you know? like it's, very, it's very clear. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, well, I should say in your case, a Kelpie. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, I wish I was a Kelpie, but unfortunately I'm not cool enough. Um, <laughs> for years I've tried to compare myself to cool, athletic, um, tenacious breeds, and I just, no, I've got silky, silky ears. Um, maybe a Yorkshire Terrier. Yeah, it's fine. That's who I am. I've accepted it. <laughs> what kind of dog am I? Border Terrier. Border Terrier. Mm. I think I'd have to look that up. I don't know that off the top of my head. I think when you when you get into what is a Border Terrier, you'll understand. I'm going to go Googling later. <laughs> now i got a side project. <laughs> it was lovely hearing you talk about Camp Down. And I wanted to ask about some of the other spaces that you've performed in live in Sydney yeah. pre-lockdown. Uh, um, if you could mention a couple of those spaces and how you describe the atmosphere. One of my go-to spots is the Gasoline Pony in Merrickville. Mm -hmm. And that place is really special to me. Um, I hosted my 30th birthday there. And um, I think that was one of the first nights when I played there as well. And since then, I've been playing there like pretty, pretty fairly consistently, I guess. Um, there's something about that room and that community that has felt like a place where I could experiment. And um, it's definitely the room where I've played new songs probably the most. And it's also the room where I, it's the only place really that I've felt safe um, in the past little bit. And that's not about that's about that's a me thing where I felt like psychically safe um, to play while my voice was like radically changing and other places I've played that have had an impact on me. Um, the Red Rattler, for mm -hmm. sure, for sure. I think. I mean, the, when you play at the Rattler, or when you do anything at the Rattler, like you feel the weight of your ancestors. You know, like in this like very powerful way and I don't mean that in a flippant way even if, if it sounds like it is like I really mean that whether they're your creative ancestors whether yeah whether they're the ancestors of the traditional owners on yeah of, of those lands whether um they're your own f familiar ones I feel like 
you are never alone when you play there, you know, like truly there are other voices that, um, that join you. And especially, I guess, in the context of trans or queer um, artists, I feel like that space has held so many people. Um, yeah, those are two of the places that have meant a lot to me. Um, I've been daydreaming about setting up some sort of outdoor stage and playing an outdoor show around the Cooks River where I'm living now um, in Canterbury. And there's a couple of places that I've kind of just come on my walks. I've looked at and thought, oh, it would be really nice to set up a little outdoor thing here. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds like a beautiful project. See these huge pelicans with their massive, um, when they open up their mouths and like, you just want, you just desperately wish you could pipe in like a, a baritone voice that would just come out and be like, bump, 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 you know? <laughs> Pelicans are one of my favorite animals. They're incredible. Mm. They're just amazing. Have you, tu- have you seen the photos of them turning their beaks inside out? Like the little... <laughs> no, I feel like that's a, <laughs> a little bit scary, but I'm into it. Yeah. It's absolutely wild. Yeah. <laughs> You're just kind of like, okay, wow. Yeah, it's like, it's a bit obscene. Yeah. <laughs> Google fodder for later. <laughs> when I'm yeah, alone. Yes. you've got a Google project now too. <laughs> Moving locations out to the to the Cooks River, um, how did that impact your, your music? So I've been, um, yeah, I've been living in Canterbury near the Canterbury-Earlwood border for the past year and a half. And it's funny because like I can feel it inside myself that... 100% moving there and being walking around the river like I'm out there twice a day has influenced my writing and my music so much and now I'm trying to think of how to describe it and I guess there's an open like just having more space like having the openness having the expansiveness um having so much green around me um has changed has probably given me permission to not fill up my music as much with um yeah with like with just like sounds and uh and textures and instead to sort of to really just to play with the space of one sound and one guitar um in a different way than I felt like I could when I was in the heart of um Camperdown even though I loved living in Camperdown and there was so much like wonderful community stuff that was going on and sometimes I get a bit lonely where I am but um I'm still really, yeah, there's just something about the Cooks River and about, um, about the birds, <laughs> you know, and about, uh, how the sounds around the river change so much from my morning walk to my evening walk. And I think that having that space to walk around and just be in your own thoughts, um, and then to be able to, it's like literally a four minute walk from my house, you know, then I walk back to my house and put on my little headset and go on zoom for my work calls or whatever. But knowing that that's there, um, kind of allows me to keep this, yeah, inner space, I guess. Mm. It's kind of like you are enough. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's a great, yeah, absolutely. And having the river walks, um, to, yeah, to explore with my dog during when Canterbury Bankstown was in, um, you know, hot zone lockdowns or whatever. Um, it was such an intense time. It was really difficult. There were helicopters constantly going overhead and police cars going up and down my street. 
you know, over policing this, uh, yeah, community, communities of like just families and stuff, knowing that the Cooks River was there to get away from all of that, um, and to do the thing that we were allowed to do, you know, to do your one hour of exercise or whatever. Um, it, it was such a necessary gift. Like we, we needed it. That community needed it. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering if there were artists out there, musicians out there who were going through a similar um, transition, evolution to you, what kind of advice could you offer them with that? I've been having conversations about about this type of thing um, with a few people uh, recently, and one beautiful strength of gender creative communities is that we seem to do such a wonderful job of like friendship, mentoring, peer support, you know, that kind of stuff. So, and it's 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 really important to me as a like trans masculine person of color that I specifically also. Um, reach out and try to yeah give some peer support to other young um, trans brand guys. I think that's really been one of my main personal drivers over the past um, year or so and something that I've talked about a lot with them in the context of specifically um, singing and being a musician and stuff is that it's okay to grieve for the voice that you lost end of period it's okay <laughs> it is okay to be sad about it it doesn't mean that you don't that you're not trans it doesn't mean that you're um that whatever journey you're on whether like yeah trans non-binary gender diverse gender non-conforming um uh we already have to cop so much um policing from from lots of other people if i could give someone a gift, it would be that they didn't feel like they had to police themselves as well, you know? So you can be sad about, man, I used to be able to hit these notes. I used to be able to sing in this way. And it's also okay to be extremely excited about your cracky, breaking, pubescent 13-year-old boy voice, you know? <laughs> like, that's okay. Too. Like, that's great too. Um, and they can exist together. And some days you might feel the one, some days you might feel the other. Also, um, I'm not assuming that everyone's obviously like, they're heaps and heaps of non-binary and trans um, gender non-conforming people who who don't medically transition. And that's so, I'm not trying to say that, you know, but for this conversation, I guess I am kind of um, thinking more about people who do. And my experience has been that I was really worried I was not going to be able to sing uh, at all. And I think that had to, that probably influenced why I didn't transition until my 30s. Um, and I just want to tell people that good news. I can still sing. <laughs> um, I couldn't for the first year and I made a decision. I know I'm sure a lot of vocal coaches out there will disagree with the fact that I basically just stopped singing for that entire year because it was too stressful to me um, to have to encounter. Like I literally could not hold a note. It just, or I would, I would push out a note. It would squeak. It would crack. It would break. I felt like I was going to injure my voice um, mm -hmm. by singing. So, and 
also I was in lockdown. Also I was living by myself for a good portion of that time. So I like barely talked. <laughs> like I had a very weird, intense. Take a vow um, of silence almost. Yeah. Like li- seriously, like yeah. it's, it was so dramatic how silently my life became. Yeah. In my, my chrysalis period. Um, and it's only really in the past six months where um, my voice started to stabilize and it's gotten creamier again around the edges. It's gotten warmer again a little bit. Um, I still have a very limited range compared to what my range was before, but that changes like every month now. It gets a tiny bit more um, broader. And I'm also now starting to do very gently some vocal exercises and to start working the muscles a bit more. So I guess, yeah, I would want to say to people, yeah, it's okay to be sad about losing certain things. And that is not in conflict with who you know you are and what you're doing. Also, it does get better. And what whoever you are when you sing now, I don't like to say new voice, but you know, in your new voice, um, you are both the person you always were, but also you don't have to compare yourself to that voice because you are singing in a new way. And that means getting used to that. And that means finding new ways to do things. Um, yeah. I've got friends who like trans masculine friends who were classically trained opera singers and they, they, you know, two of the people I'm thinking of in my mind, like I know they've had a lot of grief around, I don't want to say losing that, but losing that, you know, um, and also though, I see as they move through transition and stuff, like just how much happier they are as people, you know, yeah. and how that translates to your creative energy, to your libido, to your, like to the eros in your life, you know, and, um, Sure, your voice might not ever be as 150% pitch perfect as it used to be. Mine certainly won't. Um, but my presence of like, yeah, libido, eros, all those kinds of like, you know, life essence things in my art now is coming across, is like the, the tap is running much much better than it was before. It's not a trickle anymore, you know? And that's because I'm singing with my my authentic voice, I guess. Mm. Yeah, There's definitely something to be said from creating from a place of joy, you know, as opposed to a place of confusion or pressure. Totally. And sometimes you don't even know, like, you know, back in the day um, in my 20s when I was singing and recording and, and playing a lot of gigs, I didn't, I had no active voice in my mind going, oh, I think I, I think I might be trans. I think I should, you know, I think I'm singing in it. Like as far as I knew, I, I knew that, I mean, that's a, yeah, I guess a separate topic for another day. We could, we could analyze the heck out of that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I always knew I was different, but I've also always been who I am, you know? So yes, the shape of things might've changed. The sound of things might've changed, but I wasn't not myself. I have this vision in my, right now I'm trying to, like tracking this picture I've got in my head of this person who like technically I guess who I was, who I looked like back then. Um, and I can think of them singing and I remember how, you know, like normatively good my voice was back then. It was great. Like it was quite, it was quite good. <laughs> and, um, but when I imagine that singing with that voice now, no part of me anymore goes, uh, damn, I wish I still had that voice. I wish I could still sing like that. That has shifted. But it was that feeling was there for the first year of being on T. But high yeah. school is over and I left you behind 
cannot find brighter light on the way looking at the sun has left me blind I'll buy your ticket come see Come see how I've changed 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 What are you looking forward to in the future? Oh wow, good one. Um, I'm looking forward to continuing to build community around myself. Um, I'm really looking forward to recording this new mini album or EP or whatever it is. Um, getting my friends back together to see who's in town and who wants to play on that little album. Looking forward to this summer. I had my... Um, chest surgery, my top surgery almost two years ago. And I'm going to go in and do a couple of revisions. Um, so do like a second round surgery next month. And I'm really looking forward to like feeling very cute this summer, um, and going to the beach and that's going to be awesome. Wonderful. Is there anything you'd like to add? This has been really nice. I wasn't sure what to expect, but, um, I feel like I feel very grateful that um, I didn't feel like I needed to be something or do something. And it's meant a lot to me to have more moments like this where I get to just, um, yeah, just offer up a moment to people. So thank you for that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on We The City. It has been such a pleasure sharing this space with you. Thanks, Bill. I remember the dream body Both me and my eternal landscape Every fur and every cone and each embrace and each sad stone Builds upon itself over so many nights work So many nights work If you want to hear more of Araz's music head to Aras Demha at SoundCloud. We the City is a Jaboa production, hosted by me, Ulysseen. The City of Sydney is our principal partner, and we thank the Creative Grants Program. This episode was produced by Blue Lucene and Tegan Nichols, with original music by Matt Cornell. We the City is recorded on Gadigal land, Sovereignty was never ceded.